0: We're currently seeing a general plateau um, of COVID vaccination take up, particularly throughout the central Australian region here in the Northern Territory. Australian community controlled health organisations say they have been battling pockets of hesitancy, which doctors say um, could have devastating consequences if a COVID outbreak went into a remote community. Someone who has been travelling through uh, remote communities in Central Australia recently, uh, is Senator for the Northern Territory, Malandiri McCarthy. She's here in the studios of Karma to have a yarn about what she's been seeing. Um, Weta, hello.
1: Hey, hello, Philippe, and hello to all your listeners. Lovely to be here.
0: Um, You've been travelling around in remote communities. Can you tell us a little bit about, I suppose, where you went to and what are communities telling you about how they feel about vaccinations at the moment?
1: Sure, Philippe. Look, I've been travelling through uh, from uh, southern Arnhem Land, so from Numbawarra and then across to Calgarinji and down the Tanami in the western desert region uh, through to Yundamu. And it's been really important to firstly listen to families and hear their thoughts around general issues, what's going on uh, in their communities. And then, of course, to naturally talk about the importance of COVID vaccination And for many people I've met along the way, they do understand the importance of vaccination. And I certainly know from talking to the clinics in those communities, uh, the Aboriginal community health workers, that they know the importance of the vaccinations. But we do see a level of slowness in the uptake of getting vaccinated. And that's for a number of reasons.
0: Is it clear that there is hesitancy in some of these communities?
1: Look, what is clear, Philippe, is that in February this year, I asked the Federal Health Department to make sure that messages were getting out to our communities in First Nations languages. Uh, That did not occur. It did not occur. If anything, the messages that were getting out in First Nations languages were on issues like the cashless debit card, for example. And I was very, very concerned that the Federal Government was focused on the wrong issues, And so last month, the Federal Aboriginal Affairs Minister provided over $250,000 to First Nations media organisations to provide messaging. And that was in September. I asked in February. So we've had this massive time lag uh, most of the year when there should have been messaging to all our First Nations communities right across Australia, but in particular here in the Territory, in our languages. And so the uptake has been really slow, and I do put that down to the fact that there has not been the adequate messages uh, in terms of the communications here.
0: And obviously, with that comes misinformation that comes into the communities, and we've heard anecdotes of, I suppose, traditional owners even sometimes uh, encouraging communities to not get vaccinations because they've been informed from, whether it be church groups or others, that vaccinations are dangerous for you. Do you think that 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 is something that's concerning? Uh, What can be done in that aspect to tackle the misinformation, Um, as well as obviously you've talked about in-language messaging, but anything else that you see that can tackle that wrong information?
1: Look, that's an important question, Philippe. I think the side effect is misinformation when you haven't established a proper messaging process and that has been my concern all along. If the communities have not had uh, messages in their languages by local people who speak the language uh, and the understanding of the dramatic impact of what COVID could do uh, to our families in the Northern Territory, to our communities, the lack of that has enabled the misinformation to come in and now we're battling with not only the hesitancy in COVID uh, jabs, we're dealing with the misinformation that's quite profound in its negative impact.
0: Paul, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples were part of one of the first phases of the vaccine rollout. So is it dismaying to you that we have such low rates nowadays? And would well, you, It's mean- an
1: absolute failure, really, Philippe. I mean, we, we are a priority and have been meant to be a priority and we're clearly not a priority because we're still talking about it.
0: What are your thoughts on organisations like AMSAN suggesting that we need a 90 to 95% rate of people in the Northern Territory to be fully vaccinated to see free movement here?
1: Look, I I understand that that's an important part of the debate, along with many other issues around the vaccinations. I know that the uh, Indigenous Doctors Association is also pushing for a high percentage rate But for me personally, as I travel around just talking to families, uh, the most important thing, Philippe, is that uh, people are aware of the importance of getting vaccinated now uh, before we are hit with this Delta strain.
0: For some, there might be also historical reasons, uh, maybe an understandable distrust of the health system as well, possibly. How much do you think this plays into rates in First Nations people across the country? Is it a factor?
1: Our rates of what, though?
0: Of fully vaccinated Aboriginal Being people. Being low, you yes. mean? Yes, yes, yeah.
1: Look, I think, uh, to, to me, it's about the fact that there hasn't been adequate messaging. I said, you know, yeah. let's cut to the chase here. If the federal government had been very serious about treating uh, First Nations people as a priority, as it said it would, then that messaging should have occurred in February. And it didn't. So that's been an abysmal failure. So the fact that uh, we're not seeing the high rates, I put that down to absolutely down to messaging. Uh, We have not been the priority that we should have been and now we're playing catch up.
0: If I may, I want to talk to you about, um, I suppose, some comments that have been uh, put between yourself and the Chief Minister, Michael Gunner, regarding mandatory vaccination for workers in high-risk settings. For our listeners, can you articulate here Your stance on mandatory vaccinations for workers and communities who have vulnerable populations.
1: It's important that people who are on the front line, in particular our nurses and doctors and people working with aged care, I understand that uh, uh, having mandatory vaccination for those workers is essential. But where we have not had the full conversation is what happens to the rest of the community And at this particular point, uh, if there are going to be uh, mandates made, and not just in the Northern Territory, but obviously across Australia, uh, Australians are going to see that if you choose not to vaccinate, there are going to be consequences with that. And that is going to be a personal decision on each and every Australian as to whether they vaccinate or not. I certainly encourage you to vaccinate.
0: We're going to be heading towards that uh time when uh, we see the country opening up, we see in New South Wales already, and there will be eventually a time when the Northern Territory opens up. Um, We have heard reports that um, uh, Mr Gunnar is concerned specifically around Central Australia, for the reasons that we've kind of already talked about. But obviously, when we get to the point of having free movement in the territory, where do you see us ensuring the safety of remote communities, Um, if those vaccination rates are still low when we get to that point of opening up?
1: My understanding is that the Northern Territory will still have checks and balances in place in terms of the Chief Minister's plan of the code, you know, the the colours of whether you can enter in terms of red, green and yellow. So if you're coming from a very high risk place uh, that is still in lockdown, then clearly there are going to be checks and balances in place for whether you can enter the Northern Territory. That, from my understanding, is not going to change. What is important for our First Nations communities to understand is that there are also those who enter the Northern Territory, you know, more often than not uh, in a four-wheel drive or a bus or a van as they travel through, uh, who may slip through the system. And this is the reality uh, that we're going to be faced with, that COVID is very real, It is getting much closer. We've seen what's happened to New South Wales First Nations people in mid-western New South Wales. Uh, I recognise how dangerous it is, and I still believe that unless we get vaccinated to lessen the impact, uh, it is going to be a real concern for us here.
0: But how helpful is it for the Chief Minister to call a fellow Labor Party member, yourself, an anti-vaxxer, or at least infer it?
1: Unhelpful most unhelpful and a complete distraction to what the
0: real issue is. Does he have a a point, though, in terms of where he says if you decide to not become vaccinated, you are putting the health of the community at risk, though?
1: I think you'd have to speak with the Chief Minister about his comments and why Mm. he made them. Uh, But let's be really clear here uh, that vaccination is the way to lessen the impact of covid now, people can call each other all sorts of names, but I do think the people of the Northern Territory are more astute and more attuned to when something has been a complete error and unhelpful distraction, which in this particular case, those comments were.
0: Let's move on to another topic and talk about fracking here in the Northern Territory. Sure. You've been in part, part of an inquiry into uh, the impact of fracking in the Beetaloo Basin, um, and you've heard some very emotional Uh, submissions, uh, both in person and in writing to the inquiry. I'd like to talk to you about, though, uh, regarding, um, I suppose, the... Well, we've seen a recent report from Reputech, who's a leading provider of forecasting services in Australian renewable energy, that says that gas companies in the Beesaloo Basin are unlikely to make any money from fracking in the Northern Territory. We continue to hear from traditional owners saying that they don't want fracking in the Northern Territory. Yet your party has voted to allow grants to be given to fracking companies to explore in the Beesaloo Basin. H- how do you feel about you know, being a traditional owner in the area and being a part of the party that allows this to happen.
1: Yes, it was very disappointing that uh, we continue to support that. But I understand it is a consensus of the caucus. And unfortunately, when you do join a party and you work in politics, there are things you have to navigate through. And sometimes you win, Philippe, and sometimes you don't. But one thing I never do is I never give up.
0: Do you talk to people in the Beetaloo Basin region about these decisions and what do they say to you?
1: Look, I do talk to a lot of people. I do a lot of listening. And uh, it is of real concern for families uh, in the Beetaloo just what is going on there. Uh, This is historic as well. It has a legacy of uh, the concerns raised around the MacArthur River and the diversion of the MacArthur River and the level of distrust uh, that uh, TOs often have as a result of uh, authority and government and decisions that are made. And unfortunately, this is the, the real politics of life. And this is something I constantly have to navigate through.
0: It's been reported, Ms McCarthy, that you've told caucus that there was much more to be uncovered with the inquiry. I understand that there's still more public hearings to happen. Are you able to indicate what you're referring to?
1: Like any inquiry, when you're only halfway through, you certainly want to be able to see what else there is to investigate. Uh, We are uh, only halfway through in terms of the interim report that was tabled in the last sittings of Parliament. And I would like to think, and this was the caution that I certainly uh, advised colleagues, is that until an inquiry is completely finished, it it would be uh, appropriate, I would think, uh, to make sure you have all the evidence at hand.
0: I'd like to ask as well as to why gas is something that is the focus here. Uh, we hear, I, I am going to speak to a traditional owner who suggests that solar should be something that be seen as a resource sector that is explored, particularly in her region in the Beetaloo Basin. I mean, why can't other resource sectors be looked into in terms of working on the country that mm. is the Beetaloo yeah. Basin?
1: I don't think there is a view that solar should not be looked at Philippe. In fact, uh, it is absolutely occurring in many parts of the Northern Territory. What this particular inquiry focuses on is the actual issue of fracking and the grants that were provided. And we're still conducting that inquiry right up until March next year. And uh, I'd be happy to talk with you about that once we complete that report.
0: If I may, just one more last uh, uh subject that I want to kind of get your thoughts on. The ACT is currently looking at reforms to its justice system, which possibly could include raising the age of criminal responsibility from 10 to 14 years of age. Uh, Advocates have been calling for this for nearly a year now. And there have been questions to attorney generals around the country that this needs to happen. Um, But we hear stalling from many state governments saying, well, we want to hear what you know the consensus is around attorney generals mm. around the table. Yeah, uh, do you think it's simply time to have this changed, um, particularly in the Northern Territory where we do have mm. uh, the highest rate of youth detention in in the country?
1: I'm deeply concerned at the high rates of incarceration of First Nations people of women. Uh, more broadly across Australia, but here in particular for our young people. So anything that keeps putting our young people into uh, detention, uh, uh, jailing them at rates, at such high rates, means we have to move swiftly in working with those young children and their families to not only keep them out of the justice system, obviously if it is an incredibly, you know, criminal crime, uh, to, to such an extent that they do need to, to uh, go through a system that's a different uh, s- kettle of fish. But most, mostly what we're seeing here is youth who are uh, needing a hell of a lot of guidance uh, in the right way and I certainly do not want to see our young people continually uh, locked up in that way.
0: Do you think the age of criminal responsibility should be raised from 10 to 14? absolutely. With that, Ms. McCarthy, thank you very much for joining no us here at Karma.
1: Thank you, Philippe.